Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. My name is Clay, and today I'm going to attempt to tackle a bit of a weighty topic. And a lot of people might think it's just kind of a ridiculous thing to talk about, to be honest. I've, I've, I've been interested in this lately, maybe the last month or two, and I've tried to bring it up with a few people, and a lot of people, they seem perplexed that I even want to talk about it. And that's the concept of, do we have free will? So most people say, well, of course we have free will. Look at all these choices I'm making. I choose what I ate for dinner last night. I choose what I want to do with my life, what kind of job I have, who I want to marry. It seems like to most people, we have this clear idea of a self, and the self is going along, consciously choosing between things all day long. You know, do we want chocolate or strawberry? So if you would have asked me a few months ago, you know, do we have free will? I would have been in the yes camp. To be honest, that the thought of not having free will might have even been a little insulting to me. It's sort of like, I'm not a slave, I'm free to choose what I want to choose, and there's nobody else that's making my decisions. That seems really clear. And then I listened to this lecture by Sam Harris. So he's a neuroscientist, and he actually has a whole book on this concept, free will. And he's got a podcast called Making Sense, and he's got a bunch of different podcasts about free will, but he had this one recently that kind of summarized all his thoughts on the topic. And so I went into this podcast with an open mind. And to be honest, it really shook me a little bit and started me thinking about this. And since then, I've researched the topic more, I've had some conversations with some people, and I've come to some really interesting realizations, so I thought it would be fun to share those today. I think overall, this is just gonna be a bit of an intro to the topic. I think it's a pretty deep topic, and if you want details, you should go listen to that Sam Harris episode. All right, so to start things off, you kinda got these two sides. Do we have free will? Some people have this resounding yes. Some people say no, apparently. And there's different sort of schools of thought within the no camp, like, determinism or randomness. I'm not really gonna go into that too much. I'm just gonna talk about it on a more high level. So there's many things going on inside our brains that we have no control over. You know, things like beating our hearts or growing our hair or any of the other millions of processes going on inside our bodies. You can't choose to grow more red blood cells, for example, or you can't fight disease consciously. Your body is just doing these things all on its own. So obviously that's not conscious. So I think most people wouldn't really claim to have a free choice over beating their own heart. Sure, you could stop your heart somehow. You could stab yourself in the heart and stop it. But you can't use your brain and your thoughts to stop your heart. So obviously when people say that we have free will or free choice, they're not really talking about these things. What about things that appear to be within our control? Do we have free will or free choice in that area? So what I've noticed about myself is that I do seem to have this general attitude that I am in control of myself, as most people do, I think. And what's one way to kind of identify that or observe that? Do you ever look into your past and wish that you could have done something differently? You, do you say, oh, I, I did X, but I really should have done Y in that situation. And then you kind of like beat yourself up. But lately I've been asking the question after learning a little bit more about this, is it even sane to think that? 
is it possible that I could have done anything different on those past decisions? Can I look back on it with new experience now and say, well, if it happened again, I would make a different decision because now I have new information. But given all the information that I had back then at that choice, is it possible that I could have done anything different? And I think this is sort of one of the fundamental questions of this free will. Does the information I have at any given moment and all these mysterious processes in my brain, is that more determining my actions and thoughts? Or do I actually have a a conscious choice in this process? And I think the answer to this question all comes down to one main question. Am I in control of my own thoughts? So I think most people would say, yes, I'm in control of my own thoughts. I have two options in my head. I kind of go back and forth between them and I pick the best option. Obviously, I made that choice myself. But it's not really what I mean. And so one thing I've been doing lately is some mindfulness. And uh, specifically, I've been doing Sam Harris's, he has a meditation app. It's like a non-religious meditation app called Waking Up. And one thing that's become quite clear as I do these mindfulness exercises is that I don't know where my thoughts come from. So if you try to meditate and you just try to focus on your breath, for example, just try to focus on the in and out of your breath. That's it. Nothing else. You will find that these thoughts appear in your head. It could be random. It'd be like what you have to do later or something that somebody said or something that bothered you or something that you're excited about. These thoughts just kind of appear into consciousness. So consciousness, just think of consciousness as the theater of your mind. These are the things that you're aware of. So you've, you've got this theater and it's called consciousness. And these things are just appearing. And a lot of times these things don't serve you well. So really what mindfulness does, it teaches you how to sort of Take control of those thoughts. So you're sitting there and you're trying to just focus on your breath and then a random thought appears. And it's interesting, you can get lost in that thought and then three, four or five minutes later, you you realize that you've been thinking for five minutes instead of doing what you're supposed to do. And what I've noticed about the process is just observing a thought from the outside of the thought itself kind of just makes the thought go away and dissipate. So a lot of these exercises have got me thinking about where are these thoughts coming from? I I don't seem to be in control of these thoughts that appear in my mind. But here is the fundamental question that I have. Where do your thoughts come from before you think them? So by the time you're thinking a thought, obviously you're aware of that thought and you can kind of ruminate around it in your mind and make a decision based on that thought. But before the thought appears, where is it? Where did it come from? Can you think a thought before you think it? So Sam Harris has this example to kind of illustrate this. He says, choose a movie. It's a very unconstrained exercise. Just choose a movie, whichever one you want. And he kind of walks through this process. It seems like most of us we'll have a few candidates appear in our mind. Let's say we got three or four. We're like, okay, well, I'm going to pick that one based on who knows why, some, some criteria. I'm going to pick Mission Impossible. That's my movie. And he does this a number of times to kind of illustrate that 
it seems like you don't have control of which possibilities your mind recalls. So it's like, let me think of a song right now. And you sit there. And then all of a sudden, some songs kind of percolate out of the blackness into your mind. The real question is, where did those possibilities come from? You didn't think them. So I think the point of his exercise is to prove that when you choose a song or a movie, you don't seem to be choosing from all possible options. For some reason, your mind is giving you a few options and then you choose amongst those. And for example, like an old song like Michael Jackson's song, Beat It. That is a song that you probably know about unless you're really young and maybe you don't know Michael Jackson's songs. Um, but most people may, might know that song, Michael Jackson, Beat It. But for some reason, that wasn't one of your choices when you were picking a song. And the question is, why not? Why did your mind give you the options that it gave you? So in the end, you might feel like you chose this song. You had a few options and here it is. This is my pick. But did you choose the possibilities that came to mind? Did you choose that consciously? Or was that an unconscious thing, sort of like beating your own heart? Your brain knew that you wanted some choices, so it gave you them. And it's almost like it injected those possibilities as thoughts into the theater of consciousness. But as to how or why or where those things came from, it seems like a mystery. And if you really think about this, it seems like we actually have no choice. We have no control whatsoever on what songs will appear in our head when I say pick a song. So say you're walking on the street, lost in thought, and a brand new thought appears in your mind. Let's say it's an idea or an inspiration. You know, sometimes when I'm out doing exercise, I get inspirations about ideas that I could do for these videos or other projects, other business ideas. They just sort of come into my head out of nowhere. So the ultimate question is, was it possible for me to think something else other than that thought that appeared? And if the answer is you couldn't have thought something different in that situation, that really doesn't help the case for free will or free choice. Here's another thought experiment. Why do you want what you want? Can you change what you want? It seems to me that my wants, it's almost like I don't have control over them. They, they just exist. And if I try to convince myself that I actually like something other than I like, like there's a lot of people doing that in their careers, you know, they might choose something that makes them a lot of money, but they hate it. Can you train yourself to want something? I mean, maybe you can train yourself to tolerate something, but it seems clear that you can't become passionate about something that you hate. So it, it almost seems like we have no control there, that there is no free choice or free will when we're determining what we want or what we like. So you can take this idea further. Can you control what you understand? Can you control what you misunderstand? Can you control when you're confused? So somebody says something to you and you don't quite get it. You don't quite understand and now you're confused. For whatever reason, we understand what we understand. We don't understand what we don't understand. We, we have no choice in the matter. We can't choose to understand if we don't, for example. So what about inspirations and intuitions? 
you know, I talk a lot about personality on this channel and intuition actually is a big part of the personality, the INFJ personality that I talk about. It, it almost seems to me that intuition is one of these subconscious processes that I don't really have control over. The, the conclusions that I come to, I'm not sure that I'm choosing that. I don't have control over it. If I think somebody is shady, I can't choose to think they're not shady. Even if I try to put a positive frame of reference on that person, I'm still a little untrusting. It's sort of like trust itself. Can you choose to trust a person that you don't trust? There's all this, there's all these reasons, it seems like, that you don't trust them. Can you just choose to trust them now? I would say the answer is no, you can't choose to trust. So it seems like a lot of these things are controlled by our unconscious or subconscious, and we're not really sure why or where or how a lot of these things are arising. So if that's true, then where is the free choice? Where is the free will so far out of all the things that I've talked about? It seems like a lot of these things, there is actually no choice. So it does seem like perhaps we have a choice of what to do with these thoughts once they're in our mind. Okay, we have three movies pop into our mind. Which one do we want to watch? And then we pick one. But even the reason why I pick one of these options, can I be sure that I actually came up with that in my conscious mind? How do I know that the choice to pick one of these options wasn't also a choice or a thought that was just injected into consciousness. So here's the possibilities of what you could choose. And then the actual thought that says you should choose this one, maybe that also has come out of my unconscious. And so something that Sam talks about here is, is there proof that free will exists. If free will exists, that we should be able to find some kind of evidence or proof for it. And I guess one of his main th you know, thoughts is, is that there is no proof that free will exists. It doesn't seem like there actually is something to grab onto here that actually says, yes, free will exists. We have all these thoughts appearing in consciousness and we appear to be making decisions. We can observe these decisions as they're made. But I guess what I would say, and sort of what Sam Harris is saying too, is that it's not clear how the decisions happen. You know, we have three choices in our mind. What flavor of ice cream do we want? We pick strawberry, but why? Why did we pick strawberry? Is that also a thought that appears in consciousness out of nowhere that says you like strawberry um, based on Whatever reasons, we, we don't know why, but you should try strawberry today. You're, you're looking for something fruity and fresh. Chocolate seems a little too heavy right now. Where, where does all that come from is what I'm saying. Um, I can't quite place it. So I think what seems clear here to me is that free will is assumed, but there doesn't seem to be any proof or tangible stuff that we can grab on to say it actually exists. Thoughts seem to determine everything we say, everything we think, everything we do. These thoughts that appear in our minds are determining everything, everything that happens in our lives, the way we respond to other people, the choices we make. But yet we don't know where these thoughts are coming from. It seems maybe obvious that we are the source of the thoughts, 
perhaps, in our unconscious. But, you know, it's funny because a lot of religions believe that there's spirits and things injecting these thoughts into our subconscious. So the reality is, is it's a bit of a mystery where the thoughts come from. It seems that one thing I can know for sure is that we are able to witness our decisions as they are made, even though maybe I don't know why a decision is made. So I guess the question is, if we are not these conscious selves that are thinking our thoughts into existence by choice, you know, where are they coming from? And so there's been all kinds of discussion about this over the eons philosophers and scientists. This is a popular topic. It does seem like most of these philosophers, though, come from the perspective of free will exists, and then they're trying to explain it, and it becomes this sort of philosophical, you know, argument of how our free will relates back to our physical bodies. So I think a common rebuttal that people might have at this point is they say, well, if we don't have free will, what's the point of doing anything? What's the point of making any decisions? If we're just like robots going through life, you know, why do anything? The reality is, is that's a, missing the point a little bit because it's saying that just because we don't choose things doesn't mean we can't have an effect on things that affect future things. So I would say with resounding certainty that I have the power to change things. I have the power to change other people. I have, a, I have the power to be a cause in that person's future effect. So let's say that we are just these cause and effect machines for a minute. The accumulation of our entire lives, our upbringing, all the things that we've been taught, all the things that have happened to us, all the lessons that we've learned, we're like this massive database of information with this processor inside of our head. I have a degree in computer science, so if you're wondering why I appear to be going back to a computer metaphor, but we have all this data and we have all this mysterious processing going on inside our head with all this data. Is it possible that as new things come in, the accumulation of all of that is producing our thoughts and decisions? If something different would have happened to us, would we make different decisions now? So let's just say for a second we're kind of these cause and effect machines. Do we have the power to change the world? Can we affect other people? And I would say yes, obviously. You can be a cause in somebody else to make maybe a different decision. Let's say, for example, you have a three-year-old and the three-year-old has a stuffed animal and they go up and they like smack the cat with it. The cat doesn't like that very much. You as a parent will likely discipline the child in a little way, or at least try to explain why that was a hurtful action. That hurt the cat. That's going to make the cat scared of, of you. You know, that's not very empathetic. We want to basically respect this cat in our lives and, and basically try to nurture some kind of meaningful relationship with this cat. And that does not include hitting the cat with a stuffed animal. And as you do that with children, this is how they kind of learn. They're like, oh, it's actually not okay for me to hit the cat. They didn't necessarily come to that decision themselves, but now in the future, they probably won't hit the cat. Or maybe they will, and you've got this sort of underlying behavioral problem that you kind of need to slowly work on over time. It's also possible. But quite often with kids, or many, many times, you can tell them not to do something, and then at least in the future, they know that you don't want them to do that, and they might not do it. So here we are with our own wills 
Our will says we don't want that cat hit with a stuffed animal. We don't want that cat hurt. And so now we're able to impose our will onto the child and affect their internal processing that then in the future tells them don't hit the cat with a stuffed animal. So the reality is, is that it appears that we have these wills. We have things that we want. And it sort of goes back to what I was talking about before with wants. We want certain things. And kind of interesting, Frederick Nietzsche has this whole will to power philosophy. And it's, it was one of his observations that it seems like each person has this will to power. And we go through life kind of imposing this to try to make the world how we want it to be. And to be honest, this does seem like that. We all seem to have these wants and wills and we are imposing our will upon the world and we do have the power to affect change. And that right there is sort of independent of the whole free will discussion, even though people think that is related. Because what this free will, free choice thing is, is do we have the power to actually change what we want or change our wills? We want to tell that three-year-old not to hurt the cat. But are we actually choosing that? Could we choose something else in the moment? And if the answer is no, then where's the free will? So I feel like a lot of this comes down to the question of how do we become who we are? How did I become who I appear to be right now? So I behave in certain ways. I will make certain decisions that seem somewhat predictable in a way. If this situation arises, I will probably act like this. But how did I get this way? I am right now the accumulation of everything that has happened to me. So I had certain parents. If I had had different parents, would I be a different person? I would have to say yes to that question. It's sort of like the three-year-old thing. I mold this child as they grow up into this certain type of person that has these certain behaviors. Of course, there's this core personality of the child that maybe I don't have control over. And I have to work within the constraints of that. But it does seem like I have the power to kind of mold the type of person that I want. And if you don't believe me about that, you go to a different culture. So I live in Canada. I went over to China one time for a bit. And it was, it was a really interesting experience for me because of the culture shock of that. There's so many differences between my culture and that culture. And I'm sure many of you have had a similar experience in some other culture, but it almost seems weird. You're like, what? Like, what's going on over here? Why are they doing that? Or things that seem really weird to us are completely normal to them. And it's flipped. There's things that we do that seem really weird. Like if you go over to you know, Saudi Arabia or something like that, the rules that they have you know, are so different than what we have. You can, you know, be killed or go to prison for things that are no big deal over in Canada. Yet over there, everybody's like quite on board with that. They, they think it's normal. And then here over here, we think that's totally weird. A lot of people seem to think that morals are absolute. That what we think is right or wrong is this sort of thing that exists outside of us and it's obvious. And I, you know, I would question that because as you go look back in history, things that we think are very morally wrong today were morally acceptable at various times. Like, you know, you take something like capital punishment. Is it okay to 
crucify somebody if they steal a loaf of bread? Back in Roman Empire, the answer was yes. Is it okay to have slaves? As you went back in history, it was considered culturally acceptable quite often to have slaves. Nowadays, at least in Western culture, that's not acceptable and you're probably not going to get away with having a slave. So if you had had different parents, would you be the same person? I think I would have to say no. Because um, this, this goes into trauma and things like that as well. You know, if your parents traumatized you in some way, you would have learned how to cope with that. In, you would have created coping mechanisms and your, your, it's almost like your brain is rewired to look for that threat and then mitigate that threat in your life. And then as you go forward in life, you're almost looking for that threat everywhere. And this is sort of what trauma creates in people. So if you'd had different parents and you didn't have that trauma, it seems clear that you would be a different person in a way. So if you'd been born in a different culture, would you be the same person? I think the answer would have to be no. So as an example, research shows that people's beliefs, religious beliefs, are almost directly tied to their upbringing. Most people that are raised a Christian are a Christian. Most people that are raised a Muslim are a Muslim. If you're raised in a Buddhist culture, in a Buddhist family, then chances are you're a Buddhist. It's very rare that somebody is raised in a Buddhist culture, in a Buddhist house, that their entire world is Buddhism, and then now they're a Muslim. To be honest, this is one of my critiques about religion. Let's say there's, they say there's up to a thousand different religions over the, you know, the history of the human species. And you happen to believe in the one that you were born into. Just from a statistical standpoint, you were born into the wrong religion. So do you have the mental capacity to switch religions if the evidence actually pointed to truth outside of your religion? I think the answer to that for most people is no. They don't have the power to change religions. So Sam Harris has this really interesting metaphor because um, sometimes people will say, well, obviously I'm free to do what I want, therefore I'm free. There's nobody stopping me from doing this thing that I want. I'm the only one that's, that's determining whether I achieve that goal or not. And he says in one of his lectures that that's sort of like being pushed off a cliff and then saying that you're free to fall. Nobody's stopping you from falling. Something pushed you, something determined you to fall. And at that point, yes, you are free to fall. As a witness, you can witness yourself falling and you are free to do that. But could you have not fallen in the first place? Could you have chosen not to fall? So another, I think another common counter-argument to this would come from people that believe in souls. So Christians, for example, uh, that's, that's my background, even though I'm not part of that anymore. Um, but Christians would believe that we have a soul, and it's sort of somehow separate from our body. It's not the same as our brain. It's not the same as our body. It exists over here, but it, it has some kind of power to control this body, sort of like a machine or something like that. The soul is maybe what creates what we are, and it has some kind of influence in our decisions. 
if that is true, we have this soul that kind of exists outside of our body, even though there doesn't seem to be any evidence whatsoever that such a thing exists, or that ourselves seem to be anything different than our brain. I would say there's zero evidence that such a thing actually exists. Let's just say that it does for a second. And your soul seems to have these wants and needs and desires. Well, you didn't choose your soul. So again, that goes against the idea of free will. Did you choose your soul? Did you choose the things that your soul wants? If God implanted those things in you or God created your soul and created you, then that seems more like an argument that you were created this way. You didn't have a choice in the matter. All right, so I've kind of laid out the basics of this argument or this question of, you know, do we actually have free will? And I think a lot of people, when they hear this, they get a little uncomfortable or maybe they start to feel a little depressed about what this means. It's sort of like, well, if we don't have free will, you know, it almost seems like there's no point or, you know, like we're like robots just sort of experiencing life almost like a movie, you know, what are we really as important as we think we are or something? As I think about this more and more, I've started to wonder if there's actually some really positive implications of this. So, so Sam Harris talks a little bit about these things, but I've kind of, kind of expanded on a little bit here, uh, more to myself. So I think a lot of our sort of self-pain that we create for ourselves comes from beating ourselves up about decisions we've made in the past. And that's because we sort of intuitively believe that we could have done something differently. I know I do this. I sit there, I, I, let's say I made the wrong decision, something happened, and I sit there and I beat myself up about it. Um, I should have done something different. But if you kind of start to internalize some of this free will stuff, and maybe we don't have free will, kind of like we thought, it kind of takes the weight of that off. It, it says... You know what? You made a decision based on everything you had at that moment. And to be honest, even if you replayed that event a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times, nothing would change. That exact thing happened because of all the things that happened before it. And so in a way, it, it removes a bit of burden from me if I, if I start to think like that. It says, you know what? I did the best I could in the moment. Now I know something new, and I can do something different in the future. But for actually beating yourself up about the past, you know, is that even productive? And so now this extends to other people. Let's say somebody harms you in some way, or you perceive somebody to have done something that they shouldn't have done. If that person is just acting based on the accumulation of their life events, and all the things that have happened to them and their upbringing and their parents and their culture and everything, and the combination of their personality and all that stuff that kind of just builds this, this person over there. And now they behave in a way that you know, they shouldn't have behaved. Is that really their fault? If you're kind of in this, we don't have free will camp, it's, it's almost impossible to blame that person for those actions in the past anyway, and perhaps there's a way that you can correct that behavior for the future. But here's something I've, I've noticed about human beings. Let's say your child dies. Horrible thing, obviously. I have never gone through it and I hope I never will. But let's say a huge storm comes, like a hurricane, and kills your child. 
So here's this hurricane kind of doing what hurricanes do. And now there's this extremely negative repercussion of that storm. Your child's dead. Most people won't blame the hurricane for the death. Yes, it's unfortunate. Yes, they wish it didn't happen. Yes, they wish they could have done something differently to prevent it. But there's not the same blame that gets put on a hurricane as if another human being murdered your child, let's say. Or let's say a lion. Let's say you're in Africa, you're on a safari, and this lion basically attacks and kills your child. Would a person blame that lion and say, that lion shouldn't have done that? I think most people would say, well, that's a lion, and that's what lions do. Uh, lions eat meat, and they hunt. So it's kind of not really the lion's fault. Like, it's not like, it, it's not the same fault as if a human killed your child. Now you would think, well, that person shouldn't have done that. That's not a natural thing. That's not something that's inside of them. That's just them being evil. That person needs to be punished. And it's interesting how with human beings, we kind of invent this punishment aspect that maybe we wouldn't assign to a lion or a hurricane. Nobody wants to punish the hurricane. Nobody wants to punish the lion. Even if we decided that maybe that lion is dangerous and should be put down, let's say. Let's say this is like some rogue man-eating lion. We might kill the lion or put it, you know, euthanize it. But it's not really done out of punishment. It's more done out of preventing that from happening again in the future. Whereas with human beings, there is this element of blame and punishment and retribution that is assigned to people who do things that we don't like or, or people that harm us. But let's say a person does kill your child and you actually look at their upbringing. Let's say they had a horribly abusive upbringing. Let's say they had terrible parents. Let's say they have maybe some kind of mental illness. Uh, you know, like people that are born as psychopaths, they didn't choose that. They didn't control to have very low empathy and almost an inability to understand consequences, which is sort of seems to be what psychopaths do. Did they choose that? Did they, could they be anything other than a psychopath? So if you start to look at all this, the accumulation of all the things that made this person and then they made this decision, can you really blame the person for that decision. Of course, you can do things in the future to prevent that situation from happening again or from stopping that person, but it kind of removes the whole blame, judgment, the need for punishment and retribution aspect. So there's this podcast series I like by Barry Lamb. He's a philosophy professor. And he dives into a little bit of the philosophy behind criminals and incarceration. And he went and dove into all this research and talked to all these people and kind of determined that human beings, we're not putting people in prison because we think that's the best way to rehabilitate them or to stop them. Most people, it's about punishment and making this person feel pain for their decisions. And so the only way you could really have that perspective was if you believe that this person has the free will choice. They could have done something different. Even though they were raised 
in this horrible way. And even though you were raised in a pretty good way and you had good parents and you had parents that loved you and you had a good you know, group of friends, let's say, or a good school system that you went to. And even though that guy, let's say you grew up in a basement with abusive parents and the worst schooling and the worst teachers, maybe you grew up in a really bad neighborhood with all kinds of violence. Yet, you know, we still will look at that person and say, you should have made a different decision. You should have made the decision that we made. Even if that person did kill your child, it seems to me easier to forgive them if you look at them as maybe they don't have free will. Maybe they couldn't have done anything different. Sort of like if a lion killed your child, you could forgive the lion because the lion was just doing what maybe what you expect a lion to do. So what's another implication of this, I think? I think there's big implications for religion. And I do know that a lot of people don't like it when I talk about religion, especially Christianity. I think that's natural. You know, if you have strong Christian beliefs and then I come along and start trampling on everything that you sort of hold true and dear, that makes perfect sense why maybe you wouldn't like that very much. And there's a part of me that wants to not talk about it because I know that certain people don't like it. And at the end of the day, even though I know some people don't like about when I talk about it, there's still things that I have to talk about, I feel like, now and then. It seems like most people's beliefs that I talk to almost require a concept of free will. Actually, I was talking with somebody on Instagram recently, and the basis of her argument was we have free will, and then therefore, blah, 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 blah. So the free will was taken as a premise. And it's interesting. Now, if you can't assume free will as a premise, all of her arguments and conclusions are meaningless, essentially. So I pointed this out and said, well, I actually don't know if we have free will. Uh, I can't find any evidence that it exists. And at first, of course, she thought this was ridiculous. And so I kind of decided, you know, every once in a while, I'll throw my ideas out at people, almost just to test them out. So I threw a bunch of this stuff at her. And most of the time when I do that, people are very resistant and they just sort of write me off and they don't even really respond to what I said. They don't respond to my questions. But in this case, it was interesting. She actually said, huh, that's actually a really interesting point. I'm going to have to think about that. And I really like it when that happens, by the way. If, if I'm actually able to make somebody think about maybe something they hadn't thought about before, and it kind of raises questions in their own mind, and this sort of goes back to that whole cause and effect thing, right? Here's this person that exists over here with all these secure ideas. And if I can come along and introduce something that sparks something in their own brain that will then cause further research and maybe cause a change, I have to believe that that's good for the world, for people to think about things that they hadn't thought about before. So back to this. It seems like to me, most people with religious beliefs sort of take free will as a core premise, like Christianity. Okay, let's just exclude Calvinism for a moment. Most people assume that you have to choose to believe. You have to choose Jesus. As long as you choose Jesus and choose to accept him as your Lord and Savior, and you choose to believe and live you know, by his standards, you will be saved. But what happens if 
we don't have free will, and we can't actually choose that. It, we, we are witnessing the decision if it does happen like that. But if we don't choose it, it's not necessarily because of our conscious will. It is more of this unconscious will and whatever the process is that is creating our thoughts and decisions. What if we don't have the power to choose to believe? And I believe that is a fundamental question that Christians would have to answer if they actually start thinking about this free will in the way that I've, I have no choice to sort of think about it now. It seems like the two things are incompatible. You can't choose to believe unless you have free will. So as an aside, Calvinism, which is something that I've always detested, to be honest, even when I was a Christian, the idea of Calvinism and the idea of John Calvin in particular, who was, you know, he was one of the, the sort of the founders of Protestantism. I didn't like John Calvin. Um, but Calvinism has this really interesting theology that it's almost like you're a dead body on the ground and God comes along and wakes you up, gives you life and almost causes you to believe, causes you to choose him. So it's, it's a completely different idea. You don't actually choose God. God chooses you. So it's ironic in a way, even though I used to hate Calvinism, <laughs> it seems to me that Calvinism is maybe the only way that you could accept both Christianity and this concept that maybe we don't have free will. So that's interesting because... A Christians walk around all day trying to convince people to believe. Whereas Calvinism says that God has to be the one to wake up that dead body. So I think that if you are a Christian and you want to start going down this road of exploring the, the question of do we really have free will, I, I really do feel like there's some inconsistencies and contradictions that really need to be reconciled between your beliefs and what this thing called free will that seems to be assumed, but at the end of the day, after my couple months of research here, I can't actually find any evidence that free will is real. So I think that is enough for now. It's sort of an introduction to this topic. If this sparks some bit of inspiration in your brain and you want to learn more, I'll put the link to the podcast from Sam Harris in the description. It sort of goes into a lot of this in greater detail. There's also a really good episode with Sam Harris and Lex Fridman. So he's a, another podcaster and he has Sam Harris on his show and they kind of dive into free will and he asks Sam a bunch of good questions. I really like him actually. If you follow me for all my INFJ personality stuff, um, Lex actually says he's an INFJ or he at least got INFJ on the test. So he seems like a very... INFJ-ish type person, so I really, I really like listening to him. Um, but he has Sam on his podcast now and then, and they they talk about all these things. Actually, Lex Fridman's a really smart guy. He's a PhD at MIT, and he's working on artificial intelligence and creating robots. So he works on some pretty cool stuff. I like listening to him. But anyway, if you found this interesting, I'd be curious to hear your perspective on it. Uh, what kind of implications do you think this has? Do you think it's obvious that we have free will? Or do you, after listening to this, maybe question 
whether there actually is evidence that it exists at all. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening, and I hope you have a great day.